This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, we're just one week in, and we just wanted to get that Womp Womp Wednesday out of the way right now. No need to worry about how long it's going to happen before it gets here. It's here now, but it's not time to hit the panic button quite yet. And with me this week, to detail his favorite children's song ever, it's David Newman. Look, so baby songs are a thing. This is a this is a thing that I am learning in the last few days. It's quite a recent development here, um, and that's just where my life is. I uh, I have like a handful of baby songs that I play to my daughter when she gets fussy, and they will never leave my head ever again. That's just something I've accepted. Ping ping the submarine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this uh, there is. I get an article from David's wife that talks about a song that's been scientifically proven to make babies happy called The Happy Song, made by no one, none other than Imogen Heap, who is responsible for probably the most annoyingly catchy song ever, the song at the end of the OC or whatever, that, mm, what you say? That's the same person. Same person. She's responsible for both these earworms. And, and David's like, yeah, it helps our daughter, uh, you know, stop fussing. We play it for my daughter and she immediately gives me frowny face. And my, and my daughter has like the beaker frown. I mean, she has yeah. like a semi moon <laughs> upside down mouth immediately. And it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. Like, so with, with my daughter, she doesn't, um, necessarily get happy right always it's just it she stops being angry it's almost like she's trying to be angry but there's just something in her that this song won't allow to be angry and so like because there'll be like a frowny face that'll come up every once in a while but it'll just go away there'll be no no crying no yelling no anything it's yeah uh, i i feel like the last couple weeks have been daddington corner pretty hard between the happy song and i got a rowing machine so i get to use the word erg uh which is not a word that you should really use often because it sounds disgusting. I don't think uh, you should get to use it personally. It's <laughs> <so> terrible. <laughs> yeah, erg. <laughs> it sounds like a bodily function, not like a thing that you do. Uh, but yes, but I, I erg now. It's it just like yeah, this is this is the adulting, and it's it's awful. You get to 
you get to hang out with your kids, you get to erg, uh, and you get to watch your heart get ripped out week one of the NFL season because this was a, this was not a fun game to watch. This was annoying. It was frustrating. And it was frustrating all because of, well, the quarterback, the person that you were hoping to really take the step forward uh, just didn't. So we're going to talk about the, the Cardinals game. We're going to do some quick hits, and then we're going to get to a preview of the Jets game. Lots of interesting stuff, I think, in, in this review that I haven't seen talked about too much on some of the other outlets. So we're, we're going to you know dive in as we normally do and take a big bite of this game because it, it was a lot. And, and we're going to start with Jimmy Garoppolo. This is probably where there's been a lot of back and forth and a lot of you know teeth gnashing and hand-wringing. But it, it was pretty clear early on that the plan was to attack the Cardinals linebackers. And it wasn't a bad plan. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, turns out you were right, not great at football, uh, at least not in week one. Uh, but I mean, George Kittle, Mostert had a lot of option routes. You had even Jordan Reed coming in on slants. But the the thing that we talked about in the preseason preview, which was Jimmy Garoppolo's inaccuracy, really just came up to bite him in the butt. So I think we should just like off the top get the 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 caveat out of the way that like look, it's one game, right? And and so we we know it's one game. We're not trying to overreact um, to that one game and and what happened in it. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, this was something that I think was a concern headed into the season because it was something that, uh, popped up last year. I think it went kind of, um, pretty well under the radar. Like it wasn't something that I feel like a lot of people talked about, but on a lot of the short and intermediate throws last year, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't very accurate and it wasn't necessarily, um, I think the, the change actually, actually in this game is last season, a lot of his inaccuracy was just something moving from uh, an accurate pass to something that's still catchable but that is making the receiver um, have some sort of adjustment that he needs to make in order to, to catch that pass. And so that's going to be something that still is producing positive plays for your offense, right? Cause you're putting it in a catchable location. The Niners receivers are going to come down with most of those, um, but you're limiting the damage that those receivers can do after the catch in this game. It really moved more to pure misses and, and just not putting them in a spot where his receivers had a chance to get to it. So I think, one thing, yes, you're absolutely right about the caveat. This is not, uh, I don't think it's time to pull the panic alarm quite yet. We'll talk about that just a little bit later. But his inaccuracy, I think, was more on display in this game than it was in other games. And it really happened early on. In, in Early on in the game, his, his inaccuracy actually saved him a bit. Looking at uh, the third and five from the 36 in the first quarter, about 740 to go, the Niners are already up 10. At this point, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I can start to relax. At least I was like, okay, I can start to relax. I can start to enjoy. This is going to be a good week one win. All right. <laughs> I mean, it looked like the Niners had the game in hand early. It looked like, okay, they're, it, it just it looked like a normal Cardinals game where it was going to be a little tough, but then the Niners were going to break it open and that's that. But you've got Kittle going in motion on this play. The defender follows him, so it looks like man. Jimmy's probably thinking, okay, I got man coverage, which means I can go to my out route on the right side of the field to Trent Taylor. But the Cardinals are actually in cover six. And, and if you remember from our scheme month, cover six is cover four to one side, cover two on the other. And to the offense's right, they're playing cover two, which means that Patrick Peterson, the cover two corner, is sitting on any outbreaking underneath routes. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't get that memo, throws it out to Trent Taylor. And honestly, if that ball is on target, it's a pick six. But instead, it's a, it's a little off target. Trent Taylor kind of sticks his hand out actually ends up tapping it and and then ends up saving the pick six. Trent Taylor has two pass breakups on the year so far. He's a wide receiver. He's prevented two interceptions from happening in one game 
All I'm saying is suit the man up on defense. The hard hat can play everywhere. Let's make it happen. Well, who's it? Troy Brown for the Patriots, right? Was the the guy? I mean, I guess yeah. I think Edelman actually played a little bit of corner at, at some Do point, it. right? There is uh, a long, long storied history of short wide receivers playing cornerback successfully. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you see, you see Patrick Peterson on that play, um, you know, jumping up and down after the snap because, like, after the the play was over, because like he knew it, like he was the house in that thing. Um, yeah, so I, I think you had. Um, you know, that play was, was early on and kind of, I feel like set the tone a little bit. I mean, you had just a number of pass, a lot of them, you know, coming on third down, which we're going to get to a little bit, but, um, you have, you know, the, he's essentially responsible for George Kittle's injury sailing, you know, just a simple screen throw. Um, well, apparently people don't know what a hospital pass is on Sunday. I tweeted out that he threw a hospital pass to Kittle and I got several replies that were like hospital pass, hospital pass. It's like, is that not a commonly understood thing? It's a pass that puts your player in the hospital Yeah, because it's such a yeah. bad throw or leads him into a hit. Right. Yeah. 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 I guess you're the, the you're more typical when you would think of as more like, yeah, downfield, like across the middle, leading him right into a safety that just takes his head off. Um, but yeah, this, I think it, it fits there. Yeah. It's just like, you know, sales at high. Whereas if he puts this on the mark, kills able to catch it, have an opportunity to, to make that defender miss, uh, instead he's got to jump in the air. And I, th- I think that's it right there is we talked about how the inaccuracy, even if the ball is still caught, it is, you know, you, you look at his accuracy numbers and even like adjusted, you think to yourself, oh, his accuracy numbers are really high. He's still top 10 in terms of accuracy numbers in the NFL, but those are all outcome kind of driven stats. The ones that we're talking about where it's still a catchable pass, but it's inaccurate is exactly what happened with George Kittle, where the ball is high and it's still a caught ball. It shows up as a completion, but because it was inaccurate, it resulted in Kittle not being able to get any yards after the catch because he couldn't get the ball and make a move on the incoming defender. And it like it got him hurt as well. And so on the stat sheet, it shows up as a positive as him completing the pass and in statistics like a completion over expectation and things like that, it's going to show up as a, a good thing. But if you look at what ha- what actually happened, not so great. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at, at his accuracy for the week based on the actual ball location, as we chart at PFF, um, he was 21st out of 32 quarterbacks in accuracy and had the he was tied with Mitchell Trubisky for the fourth highest rate of uncatchable passes in this game. So not not a situation that you want to be in when you're talking about uh, being in the same neighborhood as Mitchell Trubisky when it comes to essentially anything quarterback related. No, not at all. Not at all. And th- And then you get to the more critical situations where his accuracy was more of an issue and you get to you get to the final drive. And and on that final drive, we, we this is one of the plays that we broke down on the Patreon. And and we we talked about the play in detail, but it's it's a first down play from the Cardinals 20. It's the final drive. The team is in a position to basically get the walk-off go-ahead touchdown. It's another game-winning opportunity immediately after he had a game-winning opportunity in the Super Bowl. This is how you begin to, you know, as Steve Young would say, take the monkey off your back. And and they run a hurricane concept which basically has two verticals running to the offense's right. Uh, But usually it's going to be a vertical from the inside receiver from the number two, which in this case is Kittle, and a hitch route as the outside receiver, which is what Bourne looks like he's going to run. But instead, Bourne runs a hitch and go. It completely fools the Cardinals defense. I mean, they both bite down on the hitch. They're both expecting some kind of short play. And Peterson and the safety bite down. Kendrick Bourne is wide open. I mean, he has nothing but end zone and accolades 
and he's about to hit whatever dance he's got cooked up in his head. And instead, Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball like straight up in the air, lofts it, give, gives Patrick Peterson a chance to get under it. It actually doinks off of Patrick Peterson's helmet, of all things. And, uh, and then the ball falls harmlessly to the ground. Niners end up with the L. So it's not just knees that this inaccuracy is costing or yards after the catch. It's actually wins and losses. Which is like a, a thing that I feel like he struggles with on the downfield stuff. Like, um, you know, I, I don't think he's bad um, for, you know, I guess they, they throw the ball so little downfield on the 20 plus stuff that um, it, it can be hard to tell at times. Obviously, when he first um, came over after the trade, that was a big problem area. He was very um, inaccurate on those throws. Um, since then, he's actually been pretty good. Like last year, he was actually um, one of the better, more accurate passers in the NFL on those 20 plus throws. He just didn't have very many of them. Um, they, they do it so little. Um, and so like, but one of the things that he struggles with when he does miss on those is I feel like he leaves it short a lot. Like he doesn't get enough on it. Like he's worried about overthrowing the guy, which like, I don't know why you would be worried about overthrowing Kendrick Bourne, right? Like, I mean, not exactly, uh, somebody that's known for his speed. So yeah, I I think it was just, yeah, that throw. And then of course you have the one on, you know, the fourth down on the, on that final drive, the final play offensively for them that he leaves behind Trent Taylor again. So yeah, it was just uh, something that was consistent throughout the game um, it, that, that was just a problem for them in key situations. Now, if you're a Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, defender, you're thinking to yourself, this is just one bad game. You know, he, it's knocking some rust off, whatever the case may be. But the, the thing that happened to him last year that maybe have people talking about Jimmy Garoppolo is not as the, the elite quarterback, but more the quarterback that needs everything around him to be good is you know I think in, in the Mike Sando quarterback article, he's considered a tier three quarterback, with, which means good starter, but and could have any one year where he's top 10, but needs the things around him to be good in order to do that. He's not going to make the things around him good. And, and I think that's maybe where Garoppolo is settling in right now. So you add to that the fact that he's, you know, his inaccuracy got a little worse, at least in this one game, but then he was getting pressure at inopportune times. The pressure rate on the game was not high. He wasn't seeing like 40 or 50% pressure over the course of the game. His pressure rate in this game was only 25%, but he was getting pressured at inopportune times, and it was because the Cardinals were doing really smart things with Chandler Jones, who's basically the pass rusher they knew they could count on. On third down situations or really high leverage situations, they were putting him against Mike McGlinchey. They were moving him away from Trent Williams, smart thing, and Mike McGlinchey gave up four pressures. He He could not handle Chandler Jones. And, and then you compound that with the fact that Dan Brunskill, who we were hoping would be the savior of the offensive line, was not that this week. And, and he gave up another two pressures, like in Tomlinson gave up two pressures. I mean, for the Cardinals, Angelo Blackson, a reserve defensive tackle, someone who's never made more than 11 pressures in a single season in his five-year career, gets four pressures in one game against the 49ers. Like that, that, this is the kind of pressure that we're dealing with. It's, it's, it's not overall voluminously bad, but it came at just such inopportune times. Right. I, I mean, the, the McGlinchey stuff to me is the biggest concern, like thing that I wouldn't have expected going into it. Right. So you, you know that you're missing your center. You're like essentially having to, um, you know, shuffle those two positions inside and you feel like those are going to be the spots that, that they're weakest. Right. And if things go poorly from a pass protection standpoint, that's where we're going to be looking, right? You're what effectively third string center 
Um, and then, you know, Brunskill bumping inside and, and playing guard and not being ready there. So I, I think like having it ultimately be McGlinchey, one of the guys that you expect to be, I mean, basically you're, him and Trent Williams, right? You're expecting to be the best players on your offensive line and to see him really struggle that much, um, was, was concerning. Cause like, I, I really actually felt like the rest of them, even Brunskill, like Brunskill wasn't uh, fantastic by any stretch, but um, the rest of them all, like when you look at, you know, kind of PFF grades were all like above average essentially. So like Lake and Tomlinson was the lowest one, not named Mike McGlinchey at a 68. Everybody else was in the seventies or higher. So I think, and as a team, their pass protection grade was, was actually pretty solid. So I, I think the, the main issues for me, yeah, were McGlinchey. And then also like Jimmy Garoppolo did not do himself many favors. In, in terms of how he handled a lot of that pressure. Obviously, the uh, I, I think the easy one to point to is the one where he like nearly drops the ball, um, trying to tuck it back in after a pump fake, spins around multiple times, ends up taking a sack. Uh, you know, down there in the red zone, that certainly one one more spin and he would have basically become a drill bit, <laughs> just kind of just stuck in the ground, one leg only. Yeah, I, I mean, so that wasn't wasn't ideal, obviously, but he had a number of other plays too where it just didn't seem like he. Um, you know, really handled the pressure well or, or moved within the pocket very well, which again is that, I mean, that's a concerning thing because that was something that we really looked at when he first came over as like being a strength, right? Like just how well he can kind of like move within the pocket and, and he looks comfortable in there a lot of times and he's, you know, not phased by that pressure and can kind of stay, maintain that throwing motion, slide left or right, you know, whatever it is to, to kind of free up a little bit of space and still get the ball out. Um, he looked, you know, uncomfortable in the pocket and, and I think, um, a little panicky at times and it, it was not great. Yeah. I think that there's this again is only one game. It's one game of evidence. We we've got some historical evidence though. And and I think at this point, Jimmy Garoppolo may be settling into that, that position where he's, I think still a good quarterback, but he's not going to be the elite quarterback that we were hoping he would be when he had that positive stretch in 2017, that doesn't mean, you know, I think there's there's still more games and more season. Maybe near midseason, we'll return to the question of what do you do if Jimmy Garoppolo does end up being more like a Kirk Cousins, where you need everything around him to be good in order for him to be good, as opposed to him making the things around him good. I think that that may be a question that we return to in, in midseason when we've got a couple of other games under our, under our belt. I think for right now, this just goes under the things to watch, things that will definitely be on alert for over the course of the season to see how he does when he doesn't have uh, really, really positive situations around him because he, he didn't from, you know, an inopportune pass protection time. He could control his own inaccuracy, but he didn't do that. Um, that's probably what worried me the most is that even when he had a clean pocket, he didn't perform as well as we normally see him. Um, but he also had no options on the outside. I mean, Dante yeah. Pettis... This was the game where I'm like, Dante Pettis, if you uh, are going to be something for this team, this is the time to do it. And Dante Pettis basically spent all game getting swallowed up by whomever was across from him. He did him no favors. He could not get off of defenders. And then on one play, the one play where he could have been open and could have had a pretty good catch, he runs just kind of an absurd route and tries to just kind of get under contact in a way that completely screws up the route. Yeah, I mean, it, it should have been a touchdown, obviously. Like, you, you get the perfect look for what this route. So he's, you know, uh, lined off to the left-hand side of the offense, um, single receiver on that side, and they're getting a quarters look from the defense. And so the the deep post route is excellent against quarters because a lot of times, especially in the, the type of formation that the 49ers were in where um, 
Pettis is, is aligned a little bit tighter to the formation, right? So he's not split fully out wide um, like you would expect as like a standard alignment for, for an outside receiver. He's a little tucked in closer to the line. And so that's going to get a cornerback now that's covering him that's playing with outside leverage. So he's already kind of shaded to the outside, which is going to make it easier for Pettis to get open on the deep, like in-breaking route. He like inexplicably decides to cut this underneath the safety. So rather than running the post or just taking like a vertical stem or running at the corner, breaking it to the post and, and having a bunch of space that now is available for Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball to, he undercuts the safety and he basically turns it into like a deep, deep crossing route. And so that actually allows the backside safety to be able to like see the ball in the air, have time to spin around and get back and like, um, you know, have an impact on the throw and make it a more difficult throw, have to be a more precise throw for Jimmy to get to. Um, and he ends up sailing a little bit over, over his head. And so, yeah, it was just a, a very weird thing to see on, on what should have been a very favorable play for the 49ers offense. And then, so you add the, the inaccuracy from Jimmy, you add pressure in opportune times and all of that really kind of sums up to the Niners really poor performance on third and fourth down. The Niners were just three of 12 on third down and they averaged an unusually high number of yards to go on third down, which almost eight yards to go on those third downs. And, and they were perhaps the NFL's worst team on third and fourth down in, in the opening week. They were 31st in EPA per play, expected points added per play. Only the Bears were worse, and they still won. Goddamn Bears. Uh, and, and they were 32nd in positive EPA percentage, which is like an efficiency metric. Um, it just, it was, it was not great. It really wasn't. And, and you look at one play in, in particular, the fourth and one from the one that really hurt. I mean, you're, you're, first of all, I hate the play call inside run. Everyone knows it's coming, but you're going to run behind Trent Williams and Charlie Warner. Now, Charlie Warner had gotten a lot of hype in the offseason as being one of the best blockers on the team. You know, and my, my dude was, a, you know, he's a fifth round or sixth round steal. And, and dude gets tossed hard on this fourth and one play. I mean, it's not, I mean, he is basically on his face real quick. And it's that defender that's able to get to Mostert and prevent him from getting the touchdown. And, and I feel like if the Niners are able to score there, it was a the right decision to go for it. But if the Niners are going to score there, that is, um, that's huge. And they don't because Charlie Warner couldn't get it done in the, in the run blocking game. And it just took one, one guy to screw that all up, to screw it all up. That was his only snap of the game as well. <laughs> and, and now we know why. That was his only <laughs> snap. Yeah, it just gets... Uh, completely bodied by, I don't even know who this is, the, the, the D end here, but you had one job Warner, you had one job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, short yardage is, is tough. Like a lot of times you don't even have to be as a, as a blocker. I feel like, um, don't get me wrong. Like you always want to get, especially on this type of play, you want to be able to get movement. Um, that's always going to be in your advantage, but a lot of times in the short yardage stuff, you just need to like stalemate. Right. You, you just need to be like good enough and not get your ass whooped and give up somebody a, a path to penetrate into the backfield. Yeah, um, Mostert will go through you like he will yeah. hit you, knock you both over and fall into the end zone. Yeah. Like you just need to give him a little bit of space. And so, um, yeah, basically doing, you know, the one the one thing that you can't do and um, not ideal. Not what you're looking for yeah. on your one snap. Not great. The I think Shanahan, best run blocker. Shanahan continued his uh, conservative nature on fourth downs. Um, you know, simply going for it on fourth down is not really it anymore. Now it's, it's you know, you look at the aggressiveness index that Football Outsiders puts out and it, it compares the aggressiveness against your peers. So 
if you go for it on fourth down and and everyone else, every other head coach in the NFL would also go for it in that situation, it's not really a, an aggressive call. It's just kind of a, a standard call. And and Shanahan consistently ranks in the bottom, you know, four or five coaches every single year that he's been a head coach. I think he's never ranked higher than 27th or 28th in that aggressiveness index. And and man, that first fourth down call uh, where the Niners kicked the field goal wasn't a fan of it. Wasn't a fan of it. They got into the Cardinals territory. It's fourth and three. I think that's the kind of call that that if you're able to make it, um, and even if you're not, right, it just kind of shows like, yeah, I'm gonna I have trust in my offense. This is a good offense. This is a Super Bowl offense let's go and get it done uh and instead you, you know you kick the field goal um you know it's it's i think people will point to the you know the missed fourth and one down in the end zone a little bit later but i think if you're talking about outcome-based fourth down measurements you're, you're looking at it the wrong way it's really all about maximizing your opportunity for points and when you're talking about potentially having a you know if you think you have a good offense and you think you can convert that at a high degree then it behooves you to do it and, and, you know, you've got to have trust in, in your defense if you do think you also have a good defense that you know, you're, you're going to stop that Cardinals offense. So you're kind of you're kind of getting it both ways. But, you know, Shanahan continues to be conservative in, in that world. And it's not it, I don't think it, it's it's good. It's the most frustrating thing, um, I think, with with him by far. I mean, we spend a significant portion of time singing his praises. Right. And, and talking about what an excellent offensive coach he is and, and how well. Um, his offense is organized and everything works together and he creates these great opportunities for all of his players. But yeah, this is, is the, the thing that definitely sticks out like a sore thumb is, is his biggest weakness right now is managing those situations and, um, choosing to be aggressive. Like, yeah, I I think that's really what it comes down to. You have to have confidence in your team. You have to understand the, the numbers and the percentages being in your favor in those situations. And, um, you, you can't just sit there and, you know, settle for field goals or settle for the conservative route. Like too many coaches are going the other way at this point. Like you're going to start it like for a while, it was like everyone was kind of conservative. And so you didn't really stick out too. like, it was the, the handful there of coaches. A penalty. Yeah. The yeah. handful of coaches, um, you know, that were kind of stealing some of those extra opportunities, but now it's becoming more and more common and you're, you're leaving opportunities on the table for your team and your offense. Yeah, it's almost like you think of using play action or motion. Two things that Shanahan does to a high degree that are beneficial for the quarterback and the offense. At this point, if you're an offensive coordinator or play calling head coach in the NFL and you're not utilizing motion or not utilizing play action, it's like you're going to get left in the dust in terms of offensive efficiency unless you happen to have a fantastically amazing quarterback, which not everyone does. And, and and really getting aggressive and understanding high leverage situations on fourth down is kind of getting to be that way yep. where if you're left in the dust, now other teams are going to start getting, you know, three, four, five points more in a game, which could ultimately prove to be decisive. I mean, this is a game the Niners lost by four points, right? Um, you know, I think if you look at the flip side of the ball that I think people will, will point to the defense and say, well, Kyler Murray scrambling and Kyler Murray this, but I think frankly, the defense played well enough to win. Arizona was very much tailoring their game plan, uh, uh, you know, to kind of not put the ball in Calamari's hands for too long. They were absolutely afraid of the Niners' pass rush, and deservedly so. I mean, the pass rush still got to Kyler. They pressured him at a high rate. Um, and, and the defense was able to prevent a lot of explosive passing plays. Uh, the Cardinals had some miscues over the course of the game. The Niners had a pick. They had a forced fumble that didn't bounce their way. And and so the, this defense still, I think, played well enough to win the game it really is squarely on the shoulders of the offense and Jimmy Garoppolo as to why they they end 
zero and one and in fourth place in the NFC West as opposed to one and zero and tied for first. Uh, yeah, I, I think defensively what they did was it certainly wasn't like to the the dominant level that we saw at points last year, but they were still very good. I think from a coverage standpoint, they were excellent. You mentioned limiting the big plays. I mean, it wasn't even just limiting like the the super downfield stuff, right? The the twenty plus stuff. Like they only completed three passes that went ten or more yards um, down the field, right? Not a, only only one that even went fifteen yards. So that I didn't know. I had the stat in about twenty yards downfield. I didn't know it was that bad for ten yards. Yeah, I mean <laughs> every single thing that they threw was underneath and completed, right? The the only ones that were even around like that in that ten to fifteen yard area were you know a few throws down the sideline basically to DeAndre Hopkins I think basically um, yeah. right at the sticks so, right so yeah I had the stat in here where it was yeah the one that we talked about on, on the Patreon where he does the crossing around they, they busted the coverage right the stat that I had in our notes was that 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 they attempted just two passes more than 20 yards downfield and and Kyler Murray didn't complete a single one and and often and he he threw the ball in 2.22 seconds which would have led the league in 2019 and it was three tenths of a second faster then Kyler Murray threw the ball last year. So they were very deliberately trying to get the ball out quickly. And, and it was just death by a thousand paper cuts. Because if, if I think we're going to sit here and say the defense played well enough to win, I think anyone who's going to sit here and say, you know, bro, did you watch the game? Look at what DeAndre Hopkins did. Uh, you know, they're going to point to Hopkins' performance and say this is where the defense failed. So how, how can we reconcile the, you know, the, the DeAndre Hopkins' performance with uh, with saying that defense played well enough to win. Well, so I think you have to partially look at, at what the defense is trying to take away, right? And, and so um, we talk a lot about the 49ers defense really playing in a way that tries to limit the downfield throws. They, they were excellent last year at defending the deep ball and, and limiting those kind of 20-plus type throws. Um, and so what they end up doing because of the way that they play is is forcing a lot of underneath throws in general right because though that's the area of the field that's open um and so teams you know a lot of times they're just going to end up dinking and dunking and, and they're going to hope that they can move the, down the field that way but a lot of times what happens is you get um you know teams that are impatient offensively they get tired of those short throws they try to push something down the field and, and hopefully as a defense at that point you can take advantage um and and you know force a mistake essentially um but in this game i mean yeah everything was you look at the kyler murray's passing chart and it, everything was under eight yards and i think when it comes to deandre hopkins specifically like they're kind of giving that stuff up, um, you know, just by how they're playing defense. But the the one thing I will say that didn't make a lot of sense to me was how they chose to play their cornerbacks in this game, which was uh, definitely a, a switch from what they did, you know, a season ago, where essentially they would switch the side of the field um, that Sherman and Mosley played on based on where the ball was. So they had a field corner and a boundary corner, um, and they had Sherman as being the field corner, which... Uh, you know, gives him a lot of help, which isn't what you you would think that you wanted out of your best cornerback, right? So when you you put a guy to the boundary, and what the 49ers did in this game was played a lot of quarters. And so what Arizona realized at, at a point in the game was that, okay, they're, they're in a lot of quarters. We can stick three receivers out to the wide side of the field. And what that's going to do is give me a one-on-one matchup down to the short side of the field with my one receiver. And that receiver was DeAndre Hopkins. And because they're putting Mosley as that boundary cornerback, he was the one that was always matched up with them. So they could just dictate whenever they wanted to a one-on-one matchup between Hopkins and Mosley, and they took advantage um, frequently. 
Yeah, so field and boundary, if you're not familiar, is basically based on where the ball is spotted. It's spotted on a hash on the left side or the right side of the, the field. And that means you get a short side of the field and a wide side of the field. And this is more pronounced in college because the hashes are, are aligned a little differently. So you get a wider area of space on either side. But it still is something to take into account in, in the pro game. And because of Cliff Kingsbury's background, he's very familiar with manipulating space based on hashes. I mean, this is the, this is the, the area is basically based off of spacing and hashes in the college game. So he knows exactly what to do. And he paired it with this three by one, which we talked about a lot this offseason and scheme month where it, it does present some problems for the defense. And usually the way that you that you attack that as as a defensive coach is you do need to rely on on someone to be able to play man to man in order to account for that three by one. And it just so happened that that meant that you were going to get Emmanuel Mosley out on an island. And even then, I don't think Emmanuel Mosley played that poorly. Like he wasn't abysmally bad. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't like, oh my God, bench him. He doesn't deserve to be a starter. But I think he definitely did not want to get beat deep, was going to give up the underneath stuff. And that meant that Kyler Murray, because he was able to get the ball out in rhythm, he was one the only quarterback who seemed to be able to get the ball out to the edge of the field. And he was able to just play kitchen pitch and catch for five yards over and over and over again and keep the Cardinals matriculating down the field and in the game. And when the offense isn't then scoring touchdowns on their opportunities, now you get a really tight game. And, and, and if you're wondering why, I guess, the, the three-by-one set dictates that, that you're going to get that one-on-one -on -one matchup, right, with Mosley and Hopkins over there. So if, if you think of that, if you remember back to Ski Month, right, we talked about quarters coverage and kind of those basic assignments. If they sat in just that standard quarters type look against a three by one set. So three by one, meaning I got three receivers to one side of the field, just a single receiver to the opposite side. If they sat in basic quarters, it would be too easy for the offense to just outnumber them to the trip side. So they would just have a field day over onto the trip side with underneath throws wide open because they, they just wouldn't have enough defenders over there, there to be able to cover them. They would have a field day there you to go. the field side. Yep. Um, oh man, dude, come on. You got to give me that one. Mid season field day form. to the field side. There you I go. love it. Yep. Uh, and so what, <laughs> what defenses end up doing as a result is they, they shift a lot of coverage over to the trip side. And so they, they'll a lot of times take the safety that's to the opposite side. So the safety that's actually aligned to the single receiver side, he won't be focused on that single receiver side. He'll actually turn his attention to the inside most slot receiver on the opposite side. So you get all of this help working towards trips. And it means that a lot of times the backside, that single receiver side is essentially manned up. So you'll have the cornerback that's over there will be locked on that single receiver. And then the linebacker that's to that weak side will usually be um, essentially locked up on the back. And so you end up with those one-on-one -on -one situations to the backside that you can go to. Um, and when you know what the coverage is going to be and you, you know that you can align in a certain way and get that look, like you can just go to it over and over again. That's what the Cardinals did. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's a lot to say ultimately that the Niners were, I think, trying not to be predictable in terms of their coverage. And they certainly did break tendencies in terms of how they, how much they played quarters in this game, as opposed to their single high look, but the field boundary division was a little curious because that is equally predictable. And it meant that the Niners, or I'm sorry, the Cardinals could dictate a matchup that ultimately went in their favor. And, and I think even with all of that, the the if the offense scores a couple touchdowns it, it's a bit more moot because now you don't have to th you you can't just 
take up a whole lot of time and throw seven, eight, nine yard plays. You have to start to take shots down the field. And that's when the Niners defense can start to climb down. That's when the pass rush can really begin to do its thing. And that's when you get into positive game script situations. But they couldn't get into one this game. And ultimately, the Cardinals stuck around long enough to win. Last thing, I know we've got we've to move on, but the, the Kyler Murray's legs were, I think, a big story. And Niners, the Niners' defense being able to prevent running quarterbacks from running all over them, I think, is a big deal. The, the stat that's, that's critical here is just how effective Kyler Murray's rushes were for the Cardinals' offense overall. If you take a look at the Niners' defensive EPA per play allowed on Sunday, they were 22nd. Not great bottom third of the league. But if you remove Kyler Murray's scrambles, that defensive EPA allowed jumps up to 10th. So they were a top 10 defense on Sunday, except for when they had to, to stop Kyler Murray. So the question I have for you is, how as a defense do you prevent someone like Kyler Murray from scrambling and getting those yards? I mean, it helps if you tackle is probably the starting point. Um, I, w- I would say when you have the opportunities and like, look, uh, Kyler Murray is, is a tough dude to tackle. Um, like let's, let's just be real about it. like him and Russell Wilson, it, like having to go against those two guys in this division, because not only are they, they very athletic and, and elusive, but I think both of those guys specifically are very smart about avoiding contact. Um, I think when you looked at, I saw this, uh, stat mentioned by Peter Schrager on good morning football, where, uh, essentially of all of the scrambles, all the times that he took off running, he was only actually hit once in this game because he's so good at knowing when to just give up the play and slide, when to duck out of bounds, like when he can actually make a guy miss. And and so it it becomes very I think it was twice. He, it was like 14 scrambles. He, uh, he got hit twice and one of them was a penalty. And by hit, meaning like he was touched. Like one time he was touched on the ground. The other time he was hit that time was a penalty. Yeah. So like on 12 of 14 scrambles, he was not touched at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't worry, the penalties were the, the worst part of it, right? If they would have just, if everything else would have stayed essentially the same and they could have just avoided the penalties that they got on there, um, we're probably talking about a different outcome to this game. Um, so like those were, were huge. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think like one, you do have to try to tackle them and it, it, you just need to have the athletes, right? Like that's the, the difficult thing with a, a player like Kyler Murray. This is what the, the problem that Lamar Jackson presents is even as good of athletes as you have defensively at a lot of positions, like those guys are just kind of on another level athletically. And so you're just not going to have many players defensively that can match them in that respect. And it's going to be difficult even when you're playing because they didn't play a lot of zone, right? As we've talked about, they played uh, a ton of quarters. So you do have, um, you know, guys that will are eventually looking back to the quarterback, even if you're matching to some degree, like they're, they're going to get eyes to the quarterback eventually. Um, and, and so they, they should be able to see those things a little bit better than if you're playing like a, a man coverage heavy scheme. Um, but yeah, they just didn't have the guys in position to be able to get to him and they didn't always take advantage of the opportunities to tackle him when they did have those chances. Yeah. And I think a spy in this case doesn't always do you, doesn't really help you all that much because a spy removes a player from coverage that now is focused on the quarterback and it changes the numbers for the defense quite a bit. And now if you're playing quarters and you've only got three underneath defenders and one of them has got eyes on Kyler Murray, um, then, you know, it changes what you can do with your underneath zones. Um, or you're only rushing a fewer number of players. You're only rushing you know, three players and you've got one of them as a spy and, and now you're in a three-man rush. 
and and now you're letting the court. You've got a spy that doesn't need to spy because the quarterback doesn't leave the pocket. Um, you know, and so the spy it just, is only it, as good as the spy, right? So as as we just mentioned with the, the athleticism of Murray, like if that spy isn't matching that athleticism, it doesn't fucking matter. Like he's just going to yeah. outrun him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough to account for something like that. I think the the catch for something like that is that you you don't want to allow those high leverage situations to to matter all that much if you're able to do everything else well. Um, you're, you basically it's one of those things where you can't necessarily always stop it. You can only hope to contain it. I mean, hell, Ben Roethlisberger had a scramble in his game. Jimmy Garoppolo had a scramble in this yeah. game. It's like yeah, you you don't have to be you know a, a really plus athlete quarterback to to get those yards, but if you can, it's something to account for. And, it, you know, this is it just kind of puts even more pressure on the defense to get everything else right. I think, you know, should you hit the panic button? Uh, no, not yet. This is still a talented team. This is still a team that I think is a playoff team. And and they're in a really, really tough division. I think to, to just kind of notch every division game as, as a win, unless you're playing in Seattle, I think is folly. These games are hard. And these games, you know, are not always going to bounce the 49ers way. I think that the takeaway from here is is less focus on the outcome, although it sucks, and more think about how they got there, right? Watch for Jimmy Garoppolo's accuracy. Is that going to be an issue that's going to crop its ugly head up over the course of the season? The defense seems to have played just fine, you know, that, and, and is that going to be an issue where that's going to be able to continue? Um, you know, the, 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 even the offensive line, you know, is Mike McGlinchey going to take a step back this year in terms of pass protection? That's something to watch for as well. It sucks to be 0-1, and I make jokes about them being in fourth place in the division, but I think more so than anything else, it's just these are the things that I'll be watching as the season moves on to see if they're able to overcome them when they get to what I think is going to be a late playoff push. So completely agree with all of that, though. I think the thing that makes it harder, actually, for me to not move into panic mode quicker, because, yeah, one game, all that stuff, it's hard to to not move into confirmation bias mode because everything that went wrong in this game were the exact fears that I think we laid out that I felt in in the worst case scenario in the season preview, right? Which is essentially Jimmy Garoppolo not being that great, struggling with accuracy, like not like really needing a, a top notch surrounding cast in order for that offense to to really reach its full potential, and the defense being merely good, not great. So I, I, again, they, they weren't that kind of dominant level defense that we saw at times last year. They were, you know, I think if you had to put a number on it, they were probably in that like around 10 range this week, right? Which is, a, is still very good. Like it is still a good defense They're They're certainly not bad, but there's a big difference from one or two to 10. And so those were the things that I think really showed up in this game for me. Uh, and so it's hard not to be like, shit. This is what I feared going in. You know? well, not, not to add more fuel to the Newman fire, but I, I took a look at their offensive and defensive EPA allowed and gained last year. And remember last year, it was the Tampa Bay game was week one. And, and I think they had a high turnover game week one. And so the defense yeah. was ultimately like top two or top three in EPA allowed. But the offensive EPA was actually better in this game against Arizona than it was in the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because uh, all the turnovers, yeah, because of all the turnovers. Exactly. But because the defense wasn't like top two or three in the NFL, it, it ends up being a loss, which is it's, it's exactly the formula that we outlined. Yeah. So it's uh yeah. So I think it is like, like you mentioned really at this stage, it is, it is stuff to watch, but I think it wasn't, 
things that came out of nowhere, right? These were th- concerns that did kind of present themselves uh, at points last year and were something that we were watching going into the season. And and now that just kind of magnifying glasses is really on those uh, like few specific aspects. Well, we've still got a lot to get to. We've got to get to the hurry up. A couple of keynotes that we wanted to mention in midweek news rumblings. And then we're going to talk very quickly about the Jets. But before we do, let's talk a bit about our sponsors. First up is Pepsi. The football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Um, I am very excited for like Joe Staley replays of those. I don't think they'll replay the commercial with Joe Staley doing the worm now that he's no longer an active NFL player, but that easily is the best Pepsi commercial I think I've seen maybe ever, Uh, (laughs) and I would like to see that uh, as I watch football. But Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels, unlike running backs. Because <laughs> Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, I can't. I mean, fair. Pe- Pepsi, Pepsi made point. for football watching. Uh, let's get to Indeed, second sponsor here. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers, Visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. I used to use Indeed at a previous job, actually. It worked out pretty well. Hired, hired good folks, yeah. Uh, right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now. Right this second. Do it now. <laughs> to indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. All right, let's get to the hurry up. First up, Javon Kinlaw. Really good this game. I think all the pregame or all the preseason stuff about, oh my God, he's going to be bad. Oh my God, what a waste of a pick. Like, he looked good. He had a couple really good, clean pass block, uh, like pass defeats. Uh, was pretty stout in the run game at times. Um, I thought it was a it was a good opening week performance. Why Solomon Thomas started over him? Not entirely sure. Uh, Solomon Thomas didn't have as good of a game, but at least one week in, I am now that I got to see him actually play some real football. Not not too worried about Javon Kinlaw. This is why you don't pay attention to camp reports and you pay attention to what these players actually did on the field the last time you saw them. When it comes to fourth downs, Shanahan is very conservative compared to his peers. Talked about that already. Not going to belabor the point. Let's move on to the next one. Maybe there's something to this Isaiah Simmons being bad thing. He gave up. Did you hear that here? Was that was that here yeah. that, that you heard that? I don't feel yeah, like you, you heard that many other places. You did. Um, next thing in the hurry up. Maybe we could limit the celebratory helmet taps for Jordan Reed. Like I'm just saying. Right? Like, come on, guys. Like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, anywhere else. Can we just, like, aim for the neck down? Give him a nice little pat on the ass and move on. All right. <laughs> Next up, Trent Williams. Still incredible at football. 
my god, the the second level block that he had on Kittle's put, little like wing tee end around. Put Jordan Hicks six feet deep, just like he's dead now. It's over. It was. It, I just I can't imagine like how I I can't imagine how much money it would take for me to to pay me to take that hit. It you know what it, it, like it looked like. Um, so a lot of times you see some of the big blocks, right. Or like, which they've, they've tried to eliminate for good reason. Um, but or like those crackback blocks, right. Where like the receiver yeah. kind of peels off, um, downfield and just like the defender never sees it coming and he just like gets his head taken off. Um, it was almost like that. And if you had an NFL athlete taking on a high school player, but it was just like, in the like, you just, fucking demolished him but so there there was that like that play was was wonderful he was um fantastic as a pass protector which is is definitely the most important thing um really had like i think i think it was like one play that he got beat on um had got beat on a little inside move um there but otherwise like completely locked down that side and just was uh everything that you expect you know you always worry a little bit guy coming off injury and and all that but um was, was absolutely everything that we expected him to be Speaking of Trent Williams, the 49ers are tied with the Washington football team and the New Orleans Saints with just 18 first downs on, uh, on Sunday. Not great. Trent Williams leaves the Washington football team to go to the NFC champion 49ers. Washington 1-0, Niners 0-1. I still don't think Williams is regretting his decision. Uh, but now we're on to the Jets. The preview for the Jets, we, we spent a lot of time on the game, so we don't have a ton of time to get here. But, I mean, really, I think the, the preview for the Jets game is that they are not good. And, and if, if, preview the Niners, Sorry. If, the, if the Niners are going to lose against the Jets, I think that's when you really need to start hitting the panic button. Uh, because I think this is going to be a game where the Niners can get back to center, back to zero, and rely on their foundation. Sam Darnold was pressured on almost 40% of his dropbacks in Week 1. They've got a really suspect interior offensive line, Connor McGovern at center and Alex Lewis at guard. Uh, and even one of their best offensive linemen, Mekhi Becton, rookie, has a hamstring issue. Don't know if he's going to play. And even if he does play, maybe uh, something that, that keeps him out or keeps him underneath peak performance. So the Niners defensive line is going to be able to feast. And Sam Darnold, despite the fact that he looks like syndrome from the Incredibles, not going to be able to get himself out of the pocket that easily or as easily as Kyler Murray. He looks like syndrome. You can't tell me, call me a liar. It is true. Look, you definitely don't need to worry about that ginger running around as much. All right. Uh, <laughs> the ginger, ginger with the bad face. Um, is he, is he a ginger? Is that like confirmed? I don't I know. Mean, he looks just like Sandy blonde. I just got to go with what my eyes tell me, you know, All right, and, fair. Uh, tough but fair. and ginger is where I'm, I'm putting him. Um, yeah. I mean, look, lost to the, bills that like the Jets just aren't fucking good yeah they, their offensive line is crappy like you it, it really is a game that uh like you mentioned if they if they struggle here it's going to be concerning because a lot of things align for them to to do very well right when you're going against a team like this that clearly um is inferior from a talent level standpoint um you should be able to we this you know the strength of your defense or what you've built the strength of your defense to be is is that defensive line which wasn't you know great or, or overwhelming i feel like in this first game like it wasn't bad and again like it was i think you know above average in terms of the way that they were able to generate pressure in that game but obviously we're um you know at a, a little bit of a disadvantage there from how quickly they were getting the ball out so you hope that they can take advantage of 
you know, a really pretty bad offensive line and, and a quarterback that's not going to be able to elude. Like you, you just have fewer concerns when you don't have a quarterback that can move like Kyler Murray can, right? Because when, when you're facing a player like Murray, you really have to be concerned about staying in your rush lanes, right? A lot of times when he got those big scrambles, it was because somebody kind of jumped out of the lane that they're supposed to be in to keep him in the pocket, and it opens up that window for him to escape. That's less of a concern when you've got Sam Darnold back there. Like, even if he gets out, you're going to have the the guys that can rally and, and kind of shut that down before it becomes a big play. So they, they should really be able to get after them defensively, I think. I think this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about Frank Gore, though, because Frank Gore is going to be making his debut as the starter for the Jets. Le'Veon Bell has a hamstring issue, and that means that Frank Gore has confirmed uh, or was confirmed as the starter in a call with the New York coaches. That I mean, it, it's there was a great story in in the Athletic that was the oral history of Frank Gore's rookie year, and there was a I think it was Adam Snyder who had a story about how he was drafted at the same time as Frank Gore and he, he meets Frank Gore and Frank Gore is wearing a chain that is like a stop symbol. Uh, I mean, I think it's maybe a hexagon. Is that what stat and stop symbols are? I don't know. Uh, and it says Gore on the inside and he, and Snyder's like, why, why are you wearing that? And he's like, cause no one can stop Gore. Like this is as a rookie, this is the kind of swag and self-belief that Frank Gore had all time 49er. It's amazing that he is still playing. I'm so happy that he is, and and yeah, it's going to be... He still refers to the Niners as we. Like, absolutely, dude. Yeah. If anyone has the right to do that, it's Frank Gore. Uh, I'm just... At this point, I'm hoping he hangs on for a couple more years so we can get Frank Gore and Frank Gore Jr., you know, in the league at the same time, maybe even on the same team. Let's, like, get a Gore back by committee, you know? <laughs> It'll have to be another two years. If he, I, I don't know if he's... Is that not what I said? Years. Uh, yeah, you said a couple years sure. or a few years. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm just know. I'm just adding a bit of precision. That's all Whatever. I'm doing. All right. It's <laughs> yeah. It'll be good to see Frank Gore back. Uh, it's it'll be suck that he's playing against the Niners, but you know what? Got to give love to Frankie. At this point, the Niners have to put their defensive backs in bubble wrap. Richard Sherman is on IR. Um, the new IR rules are great because you only have to be on IR for three weeks. And the beauty of going on IR is that it opens up a roster spot. So it means the Niners can bring someone in to fill in that position while Sherman is rehabilitating. And so that's, I think, what they'll do for the next three weeks. But Akella Witherspoon got a concussion on one of his four snaps at the end of the game. Tough luck for Akella Witherspoon. But at this point, you're looking at Emmanuel Mosley and K1 Williams being the only healthy secondary corners. Dante Johnson getting pulled up from the practice squad. And at this point, if Dante Johnson took off his shirt and had a mark for every time he was released from the Niners, my dude would look like Killmonger. Like that level of just like it's instead of like a kill, it's every time he was released and re-signed to the 49ers. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a lot. Uh it's been many times. More times than I would really like to see, personally. Not like the Johnson that. rule. The Johnson rule was an inaugural Better Rivals drinking game rule. I think we did the first game, the first drinking game version in like 2016, I think. And and since then, there has always been a Johnson rule because he never leaves. He'll never, never leave our heart, you know. No, never leave the heart. Um, and so I think that Vegas has the Niners by six and a half. Um, I think that they could win this game by a score. I think they, they hit the over. I mean, touchdown seems very, very doable. Again, it, it's the Jets. 
it's it, like if they don't win by if this is a one score game and is close throughout like i'm gonna be highly concerned like this is this is the type of game where they could win and if it's close like still be like it'll feel like a loss you know it, it, it it'll just yeah. still be concerning so yeah this is absolutely a team that they should beat pretty handily and pretty easily and i feel like that was the thing that they were good at last year right was um when you when you went up against a team that you were definitely um superior against talent wise like you went and handled business and and you blew them out right and you took care of uh what you need to take care of like it's the 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 games against the good competition that are going to be close where one or two plays can swing it. A lot of times those are, are the games, you know, where the outcome you don't want to look too much into, right? If they, they actually played to a level that matched their opponent there and, and that's going to be fine. But in these ones, you really want to see them handle business, not struggle against a team that they should really kick the shit out of. Yeah. Even their, their chief offensive weapon, Jameson Crowder is a slot wide receiver. And like we've got K1 Williams in the slot. Right? Yeah. So even even their best wide receiver isn't going up against one of the, you know, like isn't going up against Keller Witherspoon or isn't going up against potentially Dante Johnson uh, or even Jimmy Ward in the slot. Like he's going to be going up against one of the best defensive backs on the team in K1 Williams. This game lines up to get the Niners back on track. They should get back on track on Sunday. If Brashad Perriman and Chris Hogan go out there and like tear your shit up, like, it's going to be a bad Wednesday next week. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> we, may, we may have reached the wompiest Wednesday already, week two. Uh, but we're not there yet, David. Football is back. I'm happy it's back. I'm glad that we went long in that Arizona game because I think it was a lot to talk about. And, and I'm glad that we were able to do a Patreon video on Tuesday. We broke down a couple of the turning point plays that we thought were a big deal. So make sure that you go to patreon.com forward slash better rivals and check that video out. But other than that, I think that wraps it up for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, like whether or not Kyle Shanahan's going to go for it on fourth down and two. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all in word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.